0: Now, let me confess something. I don't... This is going to sound really weird coming from me. I don't particularly like this message. You say, well, didn't you write it? Yeah, I did. uh, Three years ago. um, About it. And it's not that I feel like anything I did three years ago is obsolete or anything. And it's not that I'm doing the same thing. Because I've... Change the heck out of it. But here's why I don't like it. Here's the, here's the rub for me. And I want to make this clear. And you're probably going to hear this two or three times. I'm going to talk about uh, some thoughts to dwell on when God seems a million miles away. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, is it okay to have doubts about my faith? But I'm also going to talk about depth. And here's the rub. I am going to talk about the fact that sometimes you can have depth. You can have depth all the time. But that doesn't mean that you're never going to have questions or doubts about your faith. And and so many times we talk about depth, we think, well, that person's a deep, deep Christian. He's been following Jesus for a long time. You know, he doesn't have any questions or doubts. And that would be, as I like to say, a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, that's just not true. So This is the part that I want you to see. All right, and we're gonna kind of—I'm gonna kind of revisit that. Um, The question is: Is it okay to have doubts about my faith? I can answer that real quick. Yeah, it's okay. It's called faith. Okay, we're out of here. Right? Um, It's okay to have doubts about your faith. That's why it's called faith. You know, it's not like—and sometimes people think, well, you know, if we can just—that doesn't mean we should throw away our brains. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try to use reason doesn't mean we shouldn't try to look for evidences. But, I mean, when we talk about, you know, God and the ways of God, you know, you, there, there are certain levels. And I, I think it would be pretty hard, no matter we all in here come from different places and so forth in our, in our faith. I think it would be pretty hard for just about anybody who has any integrity um, uh, academically uh, to deny the existence of a person named Jesus there's just too much history that would just uh, that just that points to the fact that G- there was a person named Jesus. Now, there might be some disagreements. Was he the Son of God? Was he God? Did he come for my sins, your sins, and and die and and be raised again and so forth? So when I say, yeah, it's called it, it's okay to have doubts about my faith because it's called faith. Um, there's many different levels of a, of where that happens, but what you need to hear very loudly and very clearly is God is not upset. When you wonder why he hasn't acted, when you wonder, gosh, God, are you really there? God's not upset by that. He's more secure than that. He's not sitting in heaven going, oh, there's my man Rich down there questioning my existence. How could he do such a thing? I mean, God's bigger than that. And, uh, and that's why you're going to hear a song in, in a few moments as well that's going to kind of um, address that, which I think is very important. The more correct question really might be asked is, how do I have a faith that becomes less and less shakable? That, that's really the more correct question. You know. So we're going to talk about all that all under this theme of thoughts to dwell on and when God seems uh, a million miles away. And, and that's what I want you to think through and, and uh, think about and just kind of dwell with me. So here, I'm gonna, now I'm going to just kind of just take a little, not really a side road, really. I'm going to kind of deviate just to here and talk about this thing called depth, okay? Here's where I'm going with this. When we're people of depth, our life is more Well, I'm going to go into more detail on this in a moment, but our life is more than what's just going on around us. When we're people of depth, it's a matter of what's here in the heart, who we are as a person, what God has and is doing when we're people of depth. That doesn't mean that there's, also going to, there's therefore going to be no questions. Let me show you something. i want right? to take you to two passages in the Bible, and we're just going to talk about it. The first one's a prayer. The first one's from Ephesians 3. It's a prayer. And the, uh, the writer here, the Apostle Paul, says, I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust in Him. May your roots, here we go, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's, of God's marvelous love, and may you have the power... To understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep His love really is. I like that passage. That's a great prayer. You know? You want a great prayer to pray every morning when you get up? God, help me to know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep your love is. That's a good prayer. Just start right there. Every day. Because I don't know about you, but I find the times that I fail God the most are the times that I have all of a sudden forgotten or become unaware for a moment of how long and how wide and how high and how deep His love really is. Now, there's another passage I want you to see, and it's from the book of, in the New Testament of Philippians. Again, the Apostle Paul is the writer, and he's talking, it's not a prayer, he's just talking about his life. And and he was, uh, we, we believe, Paul, uh, Saul of Tarsus, later on, the Apostle Paul, his name was changed. We believe that he came from a pretty wealthy family, so he knew wealth. He also knew poverty because when he became a believer in Jesus, he lost a lot. And uh, not just in friends, but in status and probably money as well uh, at that particular time in the Jewish culture. So Philippians chapter 4, he's talking about this. And he's talking to this church uh, in Philippi, which is in Greece. And they have helped him along the way. He's, uh, he's at this point in time in, under house arrest in Rome. Needs some help. Just needs some financial help. And they've sent some money to help him as well as some people to help him because he has some other, some other issues going on. And he, look what he says. He says, How grateful I am, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but for a while you didn't have the chance to help me. Now that was uh, not that I was ever in need. For I have learned, watch this, watch this, watch this. For I have learned how to get along happily, whether I have much or little. Can you say that? I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned, here it is, here's a secret. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything with the help of Christ, who gives me the strength that I need. Here's the point. Don't miss this one, okay? Excuse me. Don't miss this. And that is, when we are people of depth, our life is unaffected by the stuff going on around us. Okay? When we have some depth to our life. Sitting with my wife this morning, one o'clock this morning, in in Overlook Hospital, and uh, she had a little... Thing on the steps, you know. Don't get any weird ideas after last week's sermon. But um, she, she, she—not she, everybody's going to get that. And if you don't, tough. Um, listen to last week's message, and you get that. But anyway, she had a little thing on the steps, and she fell. And yesterday, last night, actually, and and uh, broke her ankle. And um, so, and trust me, uh, I owe her a few broken bones because. Uh, this is the first thing. I, she's had to nurse me through a broken ankle, broken ribs, broken leg, broken head, broken arm, broken shoulder, uh, broken arm. Another Anyway, I've had a few. Some of those were in one thing and some of those were other things. So uh, I sit there and I say, oh, honey, I'm sorry to ruin your weekend with this. And uh, and it was kind of nice. I don't know if, you know if you know Eric, one of the doctors who comes here, Eric and uh, Christina. He was on. He was one of the ER doc, and he was having to be on call. So it was great to have somebody you knew there. And I said, "Honey, I hate to ruin your weekend, huh?" She says, "You know, after you've been through a few things in life, like we've been through, (laughs) a broken bone's not that big of a deal." (laughs) And and that's true, you know. It's just that's so true about life, you know. And and people of depth are unaffected by what's going on around them. Now, here's the here's the rub. Here's this is this is the other part of the part that I don't want you to miss. Okay, and that is in the same way. Just because I don't feel like God is close by doesn't mean that He's not. Okay? I've been one of those very fortunate individuals some t- different times in my life where, where I have felt like I just felt like I could just was right in the presence of God. It hasn't been very many times. But I was in a situation, maybe at a conference or with somewhere, and I just really felt, wow, this is really great. But there have been many other times when I've been in those same type of situations in just life, even doing what I do, which is, you know, I'm I'm basically paid to read and pray, you know, and 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 read the Bible and pray. That's what kind of what you pay me to. I mean, there's some other things mixed in with that. But that's kind of what I'm paid to do. It's a pretty good gig, you know, you know, play golf with a few guys every now and then, and and and. and by the way, I'm sorry about that comment I made. Vanessa didn't even know what a cart girl was. It's a very sexist thing to say, but you need to understand a golf course is a very sexist place in many, in many, in many situations. And oftentimes they have a girl that drives a little cart around and gives you drinks. Now you pay her for the drinks and you tip her and everything, but that's what a cart girl does. And that was a very unkind thing for me to say, Vanessa. I humbly apologize in the presence of all. Even though you would make a great cart girl, let me just say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, even in my profession of, of ministry, where I'm basically paid to pray and read the Bible and, and try to prepare these things, even then, you don't always feel close to God. I was telling the earlier service, there was, there was this thing I went to... Uh, it, it, Few years ago, and I went as a favor, and it was a conference, and I really wasn't doing much there, and, and I really as, as a favor to some friends were doing it, and, and and there were a lot of people there, and it was in Colorado, and, and one of the one of the mountain retreats there, a beautiful setting and everything, and people were all going around at lunch, and, and and they're oh isn't this great? And you know I wasn't really feeling too great. There were a whole bunch of other things going on in my life at the time, and I was like yeah this is great. Inside I'm thinking oh, I'd rather be a lot of other places. And then somebody said somebody said don't you just feel Feel the presence of God. And they were sincere. I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not trying to make fun. I'm really not, which is very difficult for me to do. But I mean, I, I, they, they just said, don't you just feel the presence of God? And I couldn't hold it anymore. I said, not really. I'm just not feeling it. And you know what? A lot of life is lived that way. It doesn't mean, please hear this, that God is not there just like the Apostle Paul talks about the fact, hey, who I am and what I am is not affected by how much I have or don't have. It's the same thing in my relationship with God. What I am and who I am as a person of faith is not affected by the fact that I don't always feel it because much of life I don't always feel it. That's why this discussion, uh, that's why I've deviated this discussion just a little bit about depth. So let me just go there just for a couple of minutes, all right? The whole thing on depth. Here, here's what I got. I'm going to give you, some of you have heard parts of these before. This is what I call my shallow test. And it, this is a shallow test, and maybe you've heard one. It's been, it's been compiled over about five years of me just writing things down from my own life or from friends around me and their life, and, and some of these you will relate to. This is, this is this is sort of, you know you're shallow if, okay? Kind of like, the, uh, like the, media, the comedian, you know you're a redneck if. I'm going to do, you know you're shallow if. You know, and 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 here we go. Here, you know you're shallow if you'll see when this version was written. When you're joyously happy because you got an exit row all to yourself on a long flight, you know you're shallow. Now, my friend Steve disagreed vehemently with it. He says, "What's wrong with celebrating? What's wrong with being smart?" Well, first of all. Sometimes it's smart, sometimes, you know, when you fly some of the places I fly, it's a cattle car anyway. Some of you can't relate to this because you always fly first class, and you're wondering what it's like back there with us poor folks. Well, let me tell you, it's no picnic, okay? Let me just tell you that, just so you, case, just you can hear it from somebody with some authority. It stinks back there, okay? So you other folks, just enjoy your little perks up there in the front, and drink your little wine, and have a good time. The rest of us are back there, you know drinking watered-down Diet Coke, and asking for a second bag of peanuts. That's what I do. So so my friend Steve says, yeah, but what's wrong with celebrating? You know, there's nothing wrong with celebrating. There's nothing wrong with, when I wrote this, it was just a few years ago, and I had just had that happen. I would gotten an exit row, aisle seat, nobody else in the row, and I could sit there and work on my stuff and just really have a great time. Just loved it. Just loved it. And And I was thinking, I'm loving this too much, man. You know, when it starts defining my week or even my day, then it's a problem because what happens if I get stuck in a middle seat in the back with three crying babies around me? Am I the only one that's ever happened to? Um, I love babies. I don't. I mean, I do. I love babies. I just don't like them screaming in my ear on takeoff and you know all that kind of stuff. You see, when we start defining our lives, our day, our week, that's when it becomes a bit of a problem. There's, there's some, I'm just going to hit these real quickly. Um, how about this one? Can anybody else relate to this? You buy clothes worn by half-naked models thinking it's going to make you look like them. Am I the only one that's ever happened to you? I see some guy and he's got the washboard abs, he's got the shirt on, and you, I, I like that shirt. And I buy the shirt and I go home and I put it on, I look in the mirror and I'm like, it's not doing it for me. What's the deal? I mean, it looked good on Ralph Lauren's guy. Why didn't it look good on me? A little bit of shallowness there, all right? We go through these. Traffic and other petty things can ruin your day. That's nobody here. Um, The weather the weather even partially determines your mood. Mmm, today, okay. I don't know who wrote this. Your bad golf game ruins your day. Uh, Upon reflection, you realize you treat people according to their looks. I'm serious about that one. Most of us, I think, are beyond the skin color thing or the uh, the parts of the world thing. From you know whether they be white or dark or Mediterranean or Asian or whatever. Most of us are beyond that. But I'm talking about even even a situation where someone you know just by their appearance, you, you might treat them a little better because they have a little nicer appearance than someone else. I wrote that too after situation where I. Felt like I just had been too harsh, too judgmental on someone. This, this is the one that I wrote. By the way, No, I remember I wrote when, this. Is, I, this is over five years. I wrote this one after the. I told the story before. I wrote this one after the uh, the incident that I had. I've, I've shared it several times here, uh, with a snowboarding guy that I snowboarded with. That had you know, had a face that looked like a fell in a tackle box. And, um, and and I and I wrote, I just love that line. But but uh, I wrote this after that because the guy was a great guy, great young man. I made all these judgments about him because he had all these. All these holes in his face and everything. But, um, you yeah, know, it was, it, was, it was a real eye-opening experience for me. And if you have piercings and hear you here this morning, you know, we love you, man. Okay? It's just great. Don't worry about it. All right? I'm going to show up with one someday just to test you people. to see if you can do that. Um, when you think of people, you think about their shortcomings or their sins. You ever do that? Maybe somebody you know. Maybe some, some might be shallow if you do that. You judge others by actions, but you judge yourself by your heart, by your heart's intent. Ah, I didn't mean to do that. People know my heart, and then somebody else does the same. Wow, those rotten people. You ever do that? Your day, your week, your month, your year is defined by what happened to you. That's really what it comes down to. You see, that's Shallowness when i as a person of faith have that's and that's that's really the opposite of i mean obvious that's the opposite of depth of depth allowing the things around you to shape your day your week or your month it'd be very easy for some of you depending on your situation to come out of this august and say you know i really had a crappy summer because of this and because of this and because of this i hope you won't do that I hope there's more to it than all the stuff around you. But just think about it. Think about life. I mean, how many times can you really go through life, even very many months, let alone very many years, where everything's great and everybody's great and everybody treats you right and everybody treats you the way they're supposed to be treated and the way you're supposed to be treated and all the right things come along and, and, and everything's really cool. I mean, I mean, just think about life. It, it just, that's just not the deal. And when we're a person of depth, we're able to realize this is who I am, God is at work in me, and and, and I'm not going to be defined by these other outward things. The last one that I want you to see is the concept of God is at work in my life rarely occurs to you. That's really when depth begins setting in, is when we stop and we begin to say, wait a minute, this is going on and I don't like it. And you know what? At the same time, God feels a million miles away. But let me stop a minute. God is at work in my life. That's a promise from the Bible. God is at work in my life. If I've trusted Him, God is at work in my life, wherever that happens to be. Don't forget that. I'll tell you, it makes you, That'll make your day. That'll make your week. That'll 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 make your month and your year and and, and a life. I got to tell you what depth is, all right? Because this this goes back to that, that very question. Is it okay to have doubts? Depth, Getting depth in your life is developing those deep roots that the Apostle Paul talked about. Basically, it means to learn to respond, not react. Think about that. Learn to respond, not react to life. Proverbs 15.28 says this. I've memorized this verse quite a while ago. And when you hear the verse, you'll probably know why I had to memorize it, even though I still don't always practice it. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. The mouth of the fool gushes evil. That's a good proverb. It's a good proverb for all of us. Not just in our words. But, but when we start talking about having some depth in our life, we, 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 we learn to respond, not react, to life circumstances around us. That helps us, by the way, also, that when we're in that, in that bottom of the Grand Canyon, looking up and saying, God, where are you? And how come you're not working? And how come I don't feel very close to you? It helps us to step back and say, wait a minute. If I'm a person of depth, I'm going to realize that doesn't mean God's not here. Just because He hasn't acted in the particular way that I think that He should. Or maybe He hasn't acted yet. Second thing, it's really just like the first thing, just different wording. Be slow to judge and to react to the unfolding of life's events. Um... You know, it's not being overcome. It's not being overcome by the curveballs of life, so to speak. And and you know, it occurred to me at nine thirty service. I use a lot of baseball analogies, And, and sometimes I probably should define that for those of you who, for those of you who, God forbid, may not like baseball. First, you need to come to Jesus. But then, but then, but then, once you do that, and, and you're getting a, a taste for the things that really do matter in life, what's a curveball? I, I can tell you, I can tell you vividly the first time I ever saw a curveball, and it illustrates what life does for you. I was a, I was a freshman in high school, okay. And if you don't know, if you didn't play baseball, I don't understand baseball analogies. And you hear people say, "Well, they threw him a curveball." Here's what happens. All right. I'm standing at the plate. i got two strikes. I'm ready to go, baby. I'm ready, okay? And that ball's coming right at me. Right at me. It's going to hit me. I hit the dust. Curves right over the plate. Strike three! And I'm feeling like the biggest fool in the face of the earth because I'm laying in the dirt thinking I'm going to get hit by the ball, and the ball's right down the middle of the plate. That's a curveball. Can't throw one, can't hit one. But they sure are fun to watch, aren't they? Um... Life does that, doesn't it? Something's coming right at you, boom. And then it goes away. And then the other one, and I think this is the screwball, but I'm not sure. Maybe it's a slider, whatever it is. It's over here, and all of a sudden, boom, it curves over here and, and, and hits you. And you're like, what? you just feel like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. You ever have that happen to you in life? You're like, wow. You won't believe what happened to me. You see, and that's what I'm talking about here. Be slow to judge those, those curveballs of life. Why? Because God is doing something different many times than what we ever had any imagination to think through. And it's the same thing in terms of when I'm in that, in, that, in that bottom of that Grand Canyon and I'm looking up and saying, Hey, hello God, remember me? I'm your boy Rich. And I don't feel too close to you right now. And God said, I haven't moved Third thing on this one is this: is what I just said. Believe that God is, 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 is working an epic story into your life. Because He is. God is building an epic story in each one of our lives. I love that thought. And it's just amazing. And and, and some of those times, and, and, and frankly, to be perfectly transparent, I've had a couple of them recently. I have, I have just said gosh, God, number one, what's going on? Number two, I, I'm, not feeling, I'm not feeling it. And then i got to stop back and I think, wait a minute. God is working an epic story here in my life, and not only my life, but those around me. And I know that's true. I know that's true. The Bible teaches it. I've seen it in life. I've had the advantage of some years of seeing things that just look like disasters turn into wonderful things and, and things that are still in the midst of disaster, still wondering what God's going to do there. Let me quote to you from one of my favorite authors. Anytime you ever see a book by G.K. Chesterton, just read it. Just read it. Lived in the 1800s, and I, I'm not sure why I love him so much. His writing is great. He was a, he was a preacher. He was, he was a, a, a poet. He uh, wrote plays. He was a dramatist. Um, philosopher, thinker. Maybe the reason I like him the most is probably because he weighed about 290 pounds. Maybe that's why I like him the most, I just because I, f- I feel small around him in many ways. But, but, uh, but G.K. Chesterton, he, he wrote this. I've used this before. I used it in this particular message three years ago, but I've used it since then too, and I just love it. It's one of those quotes I could probably read every day, and I'd be okay with that. It's kind of long, so follow along with me. He says this, "...in order that life should be a story or romance to us, it is necessary that a great part of it, at any rate, should be settled for us without our permission. If we wish life to be a system, this may be a nuisance. (laughs) But if we wish it to be a drama, it is essential. But we should like it still less if the author came before the curtain every hour or so and forced upon us the whole trouble of inventing the next act. A man has control over many things in his life, but if he had control over everything, there would be so much hero, there would be no novel. The thing which keeps life romantic and full of fiery possibilities is the existence of these great, plain limitations which force all of us to meet the things we do not like or do not expect. Isn't that great? Just think about that for a moment. You can just dwell on that. We're going to hear a song in just a minute before the guys come up. Let me just tell you a quick story. Back in uh, back in the day, as they say, when I was a pastor at another church in Vail. I used to have this guy, and I'm not sure, I, I think I might have been a little bit intimidated by him. Now, we had a few Ivies, but uh, this guy had, had, a, uh, had a doctorate in theology from Harvard. Now, I've lived here long enough not to be intimidated by any of that, but at that time, I think I was a little bit intimidated. He would come, he had a second home in Vail, and he would come, the older guy, and he would come... Um, Every, I, I I think every Sunday he was there because he would always tell me oh, I just got in last night or I just got in the other day and I'm here and every Sunday he would come and, and he would listen and that would always have a negative comment for me as he left um, not personally but, I mean just stuff like yeah well, that was great except I don't believe anything you said or, or or I mean things like that or you know it's too bad you know whatever did you believe in this or that and so so one day I just sort of stopped him. I, I mean, it was it, you know how you do it was at the end of the service, and in this case I was outside and there was nobody around. And I said, "Hey, Charles," I said, "You don't like anything I say. You don't believe what I believe. Let me ask you a question." He said, "What?" I said, "Why do you come?" <laughs> I mean, I thought it was a logical question. You know, why do you come? He said, "I don't. I don't believe anything you believe. I don't believe anything you say. I don't even believe the Bible." But he said. Uh, I just like the way you say it. (laughs) I said, said, okay, thanks, I think. Um... But then, so, so that led to a whole, we had a whole series of discussions, and, and he would come, every time he'd be in town, he'd come into my office, or we'd go to lunch, and for an hour or two, and I mean, it was, it was I really had to, one of those type of conversations where you got to really be on your game, you know, and you, you got to really think, because we're talking about the existence of God, we're talking about the, the text, we're talking about the Bible, we're talking about bibliology, we're talking about textual criticism, we're talking about um, the Trinity, we're talking about just all kinds of things, and I wanted to bring my A-game, you know, as much as I could, and... and and I suppose part of it was that, you know, he's a, you know, a doctorate in theology from, from Harvard. I want to show him that he's not going to show me. up. I suppose some of the old, I know it's hard to believe, but there's a little bravado in me every so often. So we were talking in one of our conversations, and I'll never forget this. And I said, you know, I said, we can sit here and reason and, and, and try to think through all these things and look for evidences here and there, and, and we should do that. But sometimes it still comes down To trusting Jesus. And I saw this emotion on his face. And and then some tears started. And he said, You know, as much as I don't want to believe some of the things you're talking about, he said, When my first wife died and through those last days of her cancer, he said, With all that I know, all I could say was, Help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus. And you know what, wherever you are on this, I love that. And sometimes that's all we can do. And you know what? God honors that prayer. He hears that prayer every time. We have the band to come up. And let's pray and just ask God to work. God, we do thank you so much for your grace and for your love and for Jesus pray God that we would have an understanding as much as we can wherever we are on this pilgrimage of faith some of us God have been having a relationship with you for years and years, but we still have some of those moments when we just even question God what's are you there? Some of us are still just sort of trying to figure it out God I pray you'd meet us wherever we are and we thank you for Jesus and that he came and lived and suffered and died and rose again to give, us, to give us the ability to have a relationship with you, with our God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you glad? Just think this as you listen. Aren't you glad that God is big enough for your questions?